Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. I want to start with a riddle today, all right? This may catch, jar some of you guys out of your seats, but what do the Kardashians and Jesus Christ have in common? Think about that one. What do the Kardashians and Jesus Christ have in common? Well, I'll give you the answer real quickly here so that we can move on. They were both influencers. They're both influencers. Um, there is a crowd of people who throng to the Kardashians. They've got to keep up with the Kardashians. And uh, then there are the throngs of people who would gather to Jesus and follow Jesus. In fact, at times it would say there were crowds or there were multitudes, which just basically means there were too many to count. At times they would say there, there's, there's 4,000 men because we can't count all, all of the women and, and all the little children running around. There's, so again, there was times when there, Jesus as an influencer, and there are many people gathering around him. There were times that they were crowding around him and they just wanted to touch his clothes. Because they knew if they touched his clothes that, that they would be healed. So there's this incredible uh, impact of being an influencer. And in fact, influencer is such a popular thing th- these days that a, a, a research firm, marketing research firm, Morning Consult, did a survey trying to figure out what is it that people want to be when they grow up. And they surveyed 13 to 38-year-olds. Yes, even at 38, you're still growing up sometimes. And they said that 86% of the, that, that, that people that they, that they, uh, that they researched wanted to be influencers. Again, you could be an influencer by simply teaching your cat to dance. Uh, putting on makeup, putting on fingernail polish. You can be an influencer if you just get the right momentum and get things going in, in your direction, get that flywheel going. And Jesus was an influencer to say the least. So much so that six months prior to his, uh, uh, to his uh, crucifixion, six months prior, to, so two and a half years of ministry, two and a half years of walking on water, healing the blind and raising the dead and, and teaching incredible life-changing messages Six months prior to, he does a public opinion poll. It wasn't a market research poll. He just asked his disciples. He said, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who who do people say that I am out there in this world? And the question comes back with this answer. Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. And others say that you're Jeremiah or you're one of the prophets. And again, this is six months after Jesus has been walking on the earth. He's been walking from Galilee. He's been walking down to Jerusalem. He's walking by Jericho and the Dead Sea. He's been all over the region, and they're still confused on who Jesus is. But you know what? Welcome to 2021. Or excuse me, 2023. Excuse me, I'm a little off on my ears. Uh, I'll blame it on the COVID I had last week. I'm blaming everything on the COVID if I mess something up right now. Um, but uh, in our same day and age, we struggle with who Jesus is. You talk to different people, and they'll give you a different answer. Richard Dawkins, probably one of the leading thinkers in uh, evolutionary biology, Oxford University professor, uh, literally is an atheist, and he, has a, he had an article out called Atheist for Jesus. And think about that, that oxymoron of that. But basically, he says that Jesus, 
believed in God. He was a good man. He believed in God, but he only believed in God because he was born in a society that everyone believed in God. So he had to believe in God. But if Jesus was alive today, he wouldn't believe in God. He wouldn't have that belief that he would be still a good man. So Jesus was a good man, but he's an ignorant man. Brad Pitt left his Baptist upbringing from Springfield, Missouri, and uh, figured out that he himself was God uh, in of his own rights and powers and capabilities. Uh, But he also did not like Jesus because he walked away from Jesus because he believed that, that Jesus was egotistical. He wanted people to follow him. He's like, he's just a narcissist. And Jesus is, and which Jesus is the everything opposite of a narcissist. The guy comes to, to God comes to be, to serve and not to be served. And so there's that. There's, there's those who believe that Jesus became a God. And I want to emphasize the word became a God. Okay. There's some people out there who believe that the Dalai Lama believes that. This is what the Dalai Lama said. It says Jesus Christ lived a previous lives reached a high state either as a, uh, either as uh, uh, Badusa Vu, that's why I understand it's pronounced, uh, or an enlightened person through Buddhist practices. That basically Jesus was reincarnated over time, over time. He reached this status of, of, of deity. Instead of going into nirvana, that one uh, Hindi word there is referring to a person who denies going into nirvana and decides to stay in this world and to serve the less fortunate. And so that's again what Buddhism believes. Jesus became a god. But you know what? That's not so far as a, a, something from the far east our neighbors across the street believe that Jesus evolved into being a God. This is what Joseph Smith, uh, I promise you probably not on a Baptist church or Methodist church or a Catholic church will be quoting from Joseph Smith today, but you got it here at Grace Point Church. Um, you got the Kardashians and Joseph Smith. Here it is. Uh, God himself was once as we are now. This is the doctrine of the LDS church. And is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. I am not going to tell you that God came. Uh, I'm going to. I'm. 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 I'm going to tell you how God came to be God. See the evolution of that. He. Uh, we have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. Yes. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see he was once a man like us and you and you have to got to you have got to learn how to be gods yourself. Again, I'm just pointing out from the Dalai Lama, I'm just pointing out from the Joseph Smith doctrines that there's a belief that Jesus became a god. And if you can become a God, my friends, if you'll read out loud with me Colossians chapter 1, and I want you to read it from the depths of your soul. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Read it with me. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him that in everything he might be preeminent. That is Jesus Christ. 
And what we believe, this is so important that you take this with you, take it to heart. What we believe about and what we do with Jesus is the most important decision that you will make in your life. Okay, who you married, where you work, where you got your education, what you name your kids, all that may all be very, very important, and it is. But what you believe about Jesus and what you do with that belief about Jesus is absolutely the most important decision that you'll have to reconcile in your heart, in your life, for all of your life. These next 35 days leading up to Easter, we're going to look at the last 24 hours of Jesus' life on earth. Six months prior to Jesus' going to the cross, people were confused about who Jesus was. Surely he buttoned that one up and figured it out, and everyone knows who Jesus is, not on your life. We're going to see how there is this distorted, this warped, this incomplete, if you will, understanding of who Jesus is. We're not going to look at Mary Magdalene or Mary, the mother of Jesus. We're not going to look at Peter, James, or John. We're actually going to look at characters that maybe you've not heard of much before. But I want you to see all of them in the context of the last 24 hours of Jesus' ministry on the earth. We're going to study today Judas. We're going to go into next week Caiaphas, Pilate. We're going to talk about Barabbas and then two thieves unnamed on the cross. And we're going to end with the guy who was overseeing the crucifixion of Jesus. Looking at these incomplete, distorted views of Jesus, and yet they're looking at Jesus in flesh and blood. But what you're going to probably find is that there's going to be some similarities, some similar confusion, some similar warped views, some similar misunderstandings of who Jesus is. And the thing is, is that you have friends like that, and I do too. And so we have, in the window of opportunity, the next 35 days, to invite along on the journey that we're going to talk about in the world, and we're going to talk about what the different views of Jesus are, and we're going to bring it back to the Scriptures, <coughs> excuse me, and back to who he is. Let's talk about number one. Let's talk about Judas. First time in 33 years of ministry that I've ever shared a message on Judas. Judas is this enigma out there. He is more infamous than he is famous. Judas is the person that I think we all know him as the betrayer, but we also first must know him as the disciple. And in one passage in John, John chapter 12, verse 4, literally in that same verse, he calls him both a disciple and a betrayer. Now let those live in tension with each other for just a moment. That he bears the title of a disciple And yet, at the same time, he is a betrayer. He is the one who's a traitor. He's the one who will sell Jesus. He's Yes. And just as if these are coexisting in all of their dichotomy, they can easily coexist in this room right here, right now. Somebody can be a disciple of Jesus, claim themselves to be a Christian, claim themselves to be a follower, have been baptized, sprinkled, dunked, and sprayed in whatever river, pond, or lake that it has been in. But the reality is, is that they may not fully know and be known in that Jesus relationship. 
Jesus knew Peter. Peter, excuse me, knew Judas. Everyone knew Judas. Judas was ranked among. Now, here's the thing about Judas. Uh, there's eight different Judases in the New Testament alone. Judah and Judas are the same words, just pronounced a bit differently. Same words, eight different ones in the New Testament. But here's two names that I've never heard. Uh, and by the way, just so you know, in case you didn't know this, we're going to have our fifth grandchild here in a couple of months. All right, yeah. We're professionals at this, okay? Uh, come see us if you need help on that. Uh, so Josh and Emma are expecting now, so we're excited about that. But here's what I've never heard anybody propose to name their kids. One is a girl's name is Jezebel or Judas. I've never heard that. Now, maybe you know somebody, and again, I'm not calling them out. Maybe they'll redeem that name. But here's the reality, and this is where we got to do a heart search. There is a lot of Judas in some of us, I'm maybe even in this room. There's a whole lot of what we're going to talk about when we look at Judas today in some of us. But there's a little bit of Judas in all of us. And what we have to realize is how much am I like Judas, the betrayer of John chapter 12, verse 4, and how much am I like the disciple that Judas had the opportunity to become? John chapter 12, verse 4. I think the problem with Judas's life is that he was living an incomplete life, an incongruent life. He had a false self-life that he was living. Judas lived the false self. He had a propped-up self, a self with titles and position and rank and relationship even. When you look at the Scriptures, Jesus calls him friend. Jesus calls him friend on the very night that he betrays him. Friend, do what you came to do, it says in Matthew 26, 50. Two other times, if not more than that, Judas is called a disciple. We just read one of those. One of the 12, another one. But Judas also had a ranking position within the 12 disciples. He was the one who carried the money bag. In modern day language, he was the CFO. He was the treasurer. He was the finance committee. So not only is Judas inside the inner circles, not only is that, but he's actually called a friend of Jesus. Jesus calls him a friend. But you also have the fact that he is a ranking member inside of the, 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 the body of disciples. He's a treasurer. So let that just sit there that you can have rank, title, position. You can have namesake. You can even have relationship, but be living a false self. Augustine, one of the Patrist church fathers, uh, 400 AD, ought to find his, his book on, called Confessions. And it literally is this. It is t- 13 different books inside, 13 different journals, if you might look at it like that. And you can read through, literally, personal confessions of, of Augustine in his journey. And some of the, some of the, the, the 13 books of confessions will have as many as, as 30 different chapters. It's like each chapter is a one-day entry. So literally, you could read one entry every day for, again, some period of time and be reading the early church father. This is what he said. He says, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? Grant, Lord, that I may know myself that I may know thee. There is a there is a there is a self that we put out in front. 
And then there's a self that's on the inside. The self that we put out in front is what we want to look good, act good, hold positions, know the right people, as Judas was a friend of Jesus, all that kind of stuff. We, that's the persona. That's the one that we have out in front. It's our front man. Now, I'm not saying back here is a hypocrite because sometimes we literally believe that we are that front man. We are that trusted disciple. We are this uh, one of the 12. John Calvin said it like this, our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. How well do you know yourself? How well do you, did Judas know himself? See, Judas lived the false self, but he had a true self. We have a true self. I did not live for a lot of my lives a true self. I'm not saying I was a hypocrite over here living a double life. I'm just saying that the, the truth and the relationship and the impact was of Jesus and all that he was and lived and how he moved in the rhythms of his life was not fully integrated into my soul and my life. There was not total integration of that into my soul. Lewis Smead refers to many believers this way. What we are is a set of walking contradictions. Our inner lives are not partitioned like day and night with pure light on one side and total darkness on the other, mostly our souls are shadowed places. We live the border where the dark sides block our light and throw a shadow over our inner places. We cannot always tell where our light ends and the shadow begins and where our shadow ends and the darkness begins. We, many people, and I'm going to throw myself into there many times, don't fully understand my own soul. So what I'll do is I'm going to live a false self and I'm going to live out this persona of who I am, who I know, what my rank is, how I fit into the schema of, of, of the Christian faith. I'm a pastor. I'm a church planner. I'm, a, I, I'm this. I'm that. I'm an author. I'm a, I'm a graduate. I'm, I've got all of these things that attach themselves to who I am, propping myself up all along the way. Judas lived a propped up life. Judas had a true self that did not fully come through, and 19 different times Judas is called the betrayer. But you've got to realize, on the night that Jesus um, called his disciples and told him that one was going to betray them, listen to this, no one knew who it was. Nobody said, oh, it's Judas. I've been watching him all along, that scoundrel, that, that, that two-faced, that hypocrite. No, no, no. He lived so good on the outside that everybody around him, his one another brothers, Jesus knew. He literally is like living in this circle, being discipled by Jesus, and he is not allowing the true self to be fully born. Now, what happens 19 times in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 27, verse 3 is just a sample of them, is that Jesus is called a betrayer. But that's because that's hindsight's 2020. But right up until his betrayal, he was one of the most trusted, reliable, ranking, friend of Jesus' disciples. Let that sink in. Where am I going with this? What self are you living? A true self? Fully integrated? 
fully saturated, fully authentic with yourself and others, or a false self? A false self lives Jesus as only an influencer. I like him. I want to follow him. I want to click on his photos. I want to comment on his post. I want to, I, I want to hang out with Jesus' people when he's an influencer. But he wants to be, and he's calling to us to be a true self, which is when we become, he becomes our identity through and through. Every bit about us. We live, I said there's a little bit of Judas in all of us. We live the Judas lifestyle, the mindset of Judas, when we do three or live with three mindsets. One is when prosperity is over worship. When, when I would say this, personal prosperity is over worship. You know what he traded Jesus for? We just read it, Anna read it, thank you Anna, 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver translates today in today's world about $4,000. So he traded Jesus for $4,000. And again, I'm going to make a broad statement here, okay? Because I know there's some people who are living on beanie weenies or rice and, and, and beans, and they don't make $4,000 a month. But there's other people here who make $4,000 in a week. So let's just say this for a good national average. About $4,000 take home a month is what they sold Jesus for. $4,000. Take home a month is what he sold Jesus for. It says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. And by the way, we're, this is, these are going to be biographical studies, so we're going to be in lots of different passages. But here's Matthew 26, verse 14. Then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest. Notice, he goes to the chief priest. He initiates the conversation and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. Now, the thing is, is that we know that story, but don't forget the other stories because here's the thing about a false self is that many times you can go back whenever the, whenever the false self unravels out here in the future, you can typically go back and see that there's been patterns and trends in that person's life that points to the fact that this has been an issue for a long time. But because they've been living the false self, the propped up self, not the fully integrated self, and they've been living that kind of false self, therefore the true self couldn't come through and deal with that brokenness in their heart and soul. Therefore, they were living out that false self. And you see in John chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, turn to John 12. Six days before the Passover, uh, before the Passover so this is literally just a week, within the week of the time that Jesus, uh, Judas sells him uh, over to the, to the religious leaders, Jesus uh, therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And they gave them a dinner, and they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, which is totally in character for Martha. And Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. Now he was dead last time Jesus was there, if you remember. It brings him back to life. And Mary, again, does what Mary does so beautifully and so well. She wants to be at the feet of Jesus. But not only is she at the feet of Jesus, she literally anoints Jesus. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. We're talking about this was not in any way some romantic gesture at all. This was total worship to her Savior, Jesus. 
And she is doing all she can in her power. She's using all the resources she can at her disposal to worship her Savior. But now notice what happens next. He said in the very next verses, but Judas Iscariot and the disciples who were about to betray him, um, he who was about to betray him, uh, why was the ointment was not, well, he asked, why is, was the ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, that sounds very generous of Judas, okay? Because again, remember, four th- uh, 30 shekels of silver was a month's worth of pay. Uh, uh, 300 denarii in today's equivalent was one year's salary. Given to the poor, and he said, This not because he cared about the poor, because he was a thief. And having having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. When you look at the character of of Judas, you see that there's an ongoing thing here. There's There's a character pattern here. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior, right? So here we have it. We have a future behavior coming out of a past behavior. But this is a big amount of money. This is a year's worth of salary poured out onto the feet of Jesus, wiped up with the hair of Jesus. What a waste. What more ministry could we have done? Even the disciples say in Matthew 26, verse 8, when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, what, why this waste? Let me just say this to you. What some call waste, Jesus calls worship. Whenever we are generous, when we are giving, when we are giving over and above, not just the, the, the little that we have to give, but we are literally being generous with our, with our resources back to God. What some people will look at that, cause you can look at, you can look at some people and they go, they give that much money. I can remember at the end of every year, Lori and I give to Grace Point Church. We give a dime out of every dollar. We get, we get a receipt at the end of the year to, claim on our taxes. And I look at that and I see the money that's on there after a year of giving. It's like, you could go there if you want to, man, I could do this with that and buy that with that and go that place with this and that. And I could literally go there. No, no, no. This is my worship to God. Yes, I'm talking about generosity being the way that we worship God. One of the most important ways that we worship God. The best books I've ever read. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. Crazy Love by Francis Chan. It's been out a long time. He said, lukewarm people give money to charity and to the church as long as it doesn't infringe on their standard of living. Man, I will give as little as I need to give or I will give as much as I possibly can give. What is Jesus worth to you? Don't neglect... Do not neglect, it says in Hebrews, share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. When we look at Jesus, when we look at what God wants to do, I want you to hear this. And we make it about us and not about his worship, we look a little bit like Judas. I don't want to look like Judas in any way. When I make it about my prosperity over worship, I don't want to be, I I want God to change my heart. I want to go from remorse over repentance. 
Repentance is what brings life. Remorse is what, what, what Judas goes through. Satan entered Judas and called Iscariot, and he, he was numbered among the twelve. Again, notice that here's a disciple. He's one of the twelve, and literally it says that Satan enters into Judas. And he went away and confirmed that the chief priests and, and the officers, how he might betray him, and they uh, were glad, and they agreed to give him money. But I want to just zero in on that, that Satan moves in. Moves in. Can you imagine that? Why would anybody allow Satan to move into their life, have space in their life? You remember, we just got off of a spiritual warfare series. We just talked about Ephesians chapter 4. Whenever we're warned as Christians not to give an opportunity for the devil to move in, that word opportunity is place, is topos. Is, it means the place, to give him a, a place, a corner, a closet, a, a, an area of our life. Nothing is given over to him. What Judas does is he opens himself up and allows Satan to move in. Through greed... In Ephesians, it talks about how anger will be what, where he moves in. Whatever it is, he moves in. Cornelius Plantington said this. He said, the New Testament conviction is that, evil, that the evil one gains no ground that we do not give him. Satan seduces only those who are in the market for seduction. Satan deceives only the self-deceived. And here it is, Judas has now allowed Satan to, to have a space, an opportunity, a place in his mind, in his thinking, in his money, and is taking over. He's become more loyal to his purse than he has the person of Jesus. And what he does is he gets into this state. He goes, he knows it's wrong. And he will get there, and we'll go there in just a moment. But what he does with this is so important. And we're all going to fall, but what we do with our fall is so important. There's two options that we can do. We can have repentance or we can have remorse. Repentance or remorse. When you look at repentance, it's life-giving. This is what the Bible says about repentance. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, the word repentance is not a word that we like to throw around or use or talk about. But literally, is when a, repentance is when I make a hardship. I'm moving this direction. I'm not going to go there anymore. I've had this attitude. I'm not going to go there. I've had this priority. I'm not going to go there anymore. It's literally shifting, doing a 180 and going in the other direction. Our life and our relationship with Jesus, if we're going to be less like Judas and more like uh, like a true disciple of Jesus, is we're going to have to make some hardships away from things that prop up a false self. That's why in 1 1 John 1, verse 9, says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What we do and what Jesus does is so critical here. We confess. We agree with God about our sin. It's wrong, God. I did it wrong. I, I'm not making excuses. There's no alibis. I'm not, I'm not a victim here. This, I chose this. I did this. I, I, I'm out of line. Okay? That is what confession means. And then God moves in, and he, he forgives us, 
and he cleanses us and he gives us his righteousness and gets rid of our unrighteousness. See, I'm telling you, what, what repentance does is it breathes life into your life. It's getting really real about yourself. Not making alibis about your life. God, this is wrong. I'm getting this out of my life. Judas doesn't do that. Judas does remorse. Repentance is what we should do. Remorse is what Judas does. Remorse is what David did for a full year of his life. He ran from God after he, again, not to tell the David story, but David just jacked everything up. I mean, it was like sleeping around. He was killing. He was setting up. It was just, it was a, it was a hot mess. And for a year, he runs from God. And this is what it said in Psalm 32. When finally he, he quit running, he started confessing. He says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Some translations have it, my bones hurt. Let me say, when I live with unconfessed, unrepented of sin in my life, it weighs me down. Oh, I'm remorseful. I wish I hadn't done it. Remorse does this. Remorse says this. I need to not have done what I just did. I need to back out of this. I need to hit, hit command Z if you're a Mac user. I know that button, those buttons well. I need to reverse out of this. I need to back out of this. I need to, I need to do over. I, I just, just, just forget that I did this. And that's exactly how Judas handles his problem. He doesn't repent and take his problem to Jesus. He is remorseful and takes the silver back to the priest. Matthew 27, verse 4. And when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, now it all hits him. He changed his mind. This is where remorse begins setting in. He brought back the 30 pieces of silver. I've sinned against uh, by betraying the innocent blood. They said, what is it to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple. What he did in that moment was hit command Z. I want to replay. I don't want to be known for this. I don't want this on my record. And what he should have gone is repented. The fine line is so, the, the difference between the two is repentance involves Jesus. Remorse involves just me feeling bad about what I just did. And I want to get out of it. Number three. Condemnation over restoration. Prosperity over worship is a Judas mindset. Remorse over repentance. I'm sorry, I wish I hadn't done that, but that's not enough. I need to enter into a relationship with Jesus so that that's where the cleansing power comes. That's where the life-changing work happens. Condemnation over restoration. He had remorse, yes. Remorse is a part of when we do wrong. And I want you and your small groups this week to really wrestle down the, the concept of remorse versus repentance. I want you to spend time to talk about condemnation versus restoration. Because what Judas does next is he really, he doesn't know how to get rid of the guilt. He thinks backing out gets rid of the guilt. Throwing down the silver gets rid of the guilt. It's the, the infraction has still already happened. Again, I want you to remind you again how repentance is a part in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized. 
every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, this life-giving repentance. Baptism follows repentance. That's why we believe in believer's baptism. That's why we say months in advance. In fact, May May 7th, I believe, is the next day of our baptism, of our corporate baptism, where we celebrate baptism. Where we, 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 we want to celebrate a new life in Christ. But I want to go back to what happened. So where does Jesus go? He didn't go to Jesus. He goes to the religious leaders. And this is where these credentials of these religious leaders should be stripped immediately. I have sinned by betraying the innocent blood, Judas says. They said to Judas, what is that to us? That's your problem, not my problem. See to it yourself. Hang on to that counsel. Take care of your own problems. It's not my problem. Instead of that priest going to him and saying, Brother, you're right. This is wrong. You need to make a sacrifice. You need to enter back into that relationship with the Lord. Whatever the, the, the right biblical counsel would have been. Not you go solve it yourself. You go handle your own shame. You go handle your own remorse. You go handle your own sin. Because that's in verse 4 and you cannot miss verse 5. He went and he hanged himself. Pain. People commit suicide. When the pain and the suffering and the shame and the brokenness of world seems absolutely hopeless. When there's less hope in life and there's no hope into the future, people will take their life. And I I know we're living in a day of mental health crisis around this very subject. I've told you before, I've done more suicide funerals in the past five years than I did in the first 25 years of ministry. The reality is, is that when you look through the scriptures, there are times when some of the greatest men in scripture wanted their lives gone, over, finished. Moses, Elijah, Job, Jeremiah, Jonah, Even Paul despised of his own life. Probably everyone in this room knows somebody who's taken their life. There are times when you feel like this life isn't worth living. There's no hope in it. And if you are left to fix your own problems, if a priest or a pastor or a friend tells you, what is that to us? See to it yourself. You're left alone. When you look at Judas and Peter, you see some parallels. On the same 24-hour period, Judas betrays Christ. Peter is arrogant, and he denies Christ three times. So if you're going to just literally do it by addition, you'll find that Judas does one sin, but Peter, he is, he's four deep. What's the result? They're both broken over their sin. You look at both of their lives, both Peter and, and Judas, they're broken over their sin. Peter, uh, Judas doesn't have anybody to turn to, so he turns to the priest. He turns to the priest. They tell him to take care of it yourself. He goes out and takes care of it himself. And so therefore, Judas took his life. What does Peter do? Peter has a restored relationship with Jesus. In John 21, you'll find that three different times 
Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. And Jesus also communicated to him, I love you too. You're the disciple in whom Jesus loved. Why am I saying this? Peter denies him three times. Jesus redeems him three times, restores him three times. This beautiful picture of redemption, even in the midst of our brokenness. Listen, here's the good news about Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If Jesus is just your influencer, you can like him, you can follow him, you can follow him when you don't want to follow him, you can turn him off, you can unfollow him, all that kind of stuff. If that's your relationship with Jesus, if Jesus is your way to get ahead and to get a blessed life and a better life, if that's all you're going to see about Jesus, that's what Judas did. That's why Jesus, Judas lived his life. But if you're going to be all in, if you're going to be in that relationship where your faith is interacting with, with his, in every area of your life, that is what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. And you go back to that popular opinion survey that, that, uh, that Jesus did. He said, who do people say that I am? Well, you're John, you're Jeremiah, you're Elijah. And then he turns around and he does this. But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Mark, who do you say that I am? Peter goes, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. My challenge to each of you, is Jesus your identity? Or is he just your influencer? Somebody you follow. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here today and you've never moved from Jesus just being a good positive influencer in your life to Jesus being your identity, you've been living a false self, a propped up life, right here, right now, right here, right now, would you just tell Jesus, Jesus, I need all of you. And I want to give you all of me. I want to live an integrated, fully saturated, fully born again life. And I want to live my life in such a way, Lord, that there's no amount of generosity, money, time, treasures, thoughts, my life, my career. There's nothing that I'm not willing to give to you, Jesus. It's all yours. I'm not holding back, Jesus. You are worthy, and I'm giving myself to you. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, do it right here now. Just tell him, Jesus, I need you. And before you leave today, would you come see me? Please come see me. I'll be hanging out in the Welcome Center. Father, in this space and time, would you open our eyes that we might see if you are only an influencer or if you're our identity, who we are, everything that we are, wrapped up in you fully and completely. Lord, we bless you and we thank you for this space and time. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Sent.